This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. What day is it, Norman? Oh, sorry. It's Friday, the 4th of June, 2021. And we're still living through a pandemic, 18 months on. And yesterday we heard the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, announcing a new disaster payment for people who are in lockdown for more than seven days, which I'm sure is very welcome to people who find themselves in that situation right now. But one of the things that he said that really stood out, Norman, was that we don't have to fear this virus. I don't want to be fear-mongering, but I mean, this virus has killed people and it's raging around the world. Shouldn't we be at least treating it with a healthy level of fear? Yes, is the answer to that question. And if you don't, it'll come and get you because it will win in the end. It's kind of a Commonwealth reprise. It's been there since last year where the states are the ones who have really feared the virus and the Commonwealth has been a bit more relaxed and really had to be brought to the party in a sense in terms of lockdown. I mean, this is a virus to be feared. And if it gets in and gets established, we will not dig it out again as they're finding in other parts of the world where they've hitherto been able to control it, Taiwan, Vietnam and uh, Singapore elsewhere. It's not panic. I think there's a difference between fear and sort of a level of panic where you sort of just so far at your wit's end that you're not doing anything. But having a certain level of fear allows you to take something seriously and prepare for it and put in measures. Yeah, I think you used the right words there, actually. It's just healthy respect. And as we said right at the beginning of Coronacast uh, all those months ago, last year, is that you the virus will always win if, you, if you're not ahead of it. It will always win. It finds every chink in our armour and will find its way through if we let up our attention and don't get vaccinated. And if you're paying attention, which I think you are, if you're listening to this podcast, you know that we're dealing with variants of the virus. And the one that we're hearing a lot about this last couple of weeks is the Kappa variant. That's the new WHO uh, name for the particular strain of the Indian variant that is circulating in Victoria, hopefully coming under control. And Norman, there's been a bit of debate about whether it truly is more infectious or if it just looks more infectious because we're looking so hard. So there are several things to say here. One indication of a more infectious virus could be that you get short generation times. In other words, from one person getting it to when they can pass it on to somebody else and pass it on to somebody else. Now, with the 617.2, that's the Delta variant, also from India, in Singapore, they were getting a generation time of about four generations of infection in eight days. So that's pretty fast. And they've got other evidence of that too. There's also evidence from Victoria that the generation time seems down at 24 or 48 hours. And on 7.30 a couple of nights ago, I I covered this issue and also Alan Cheng at the Victorian press conference covered it too. That's really probably more an, an effect of testing and contact tracing. So if you are out there doing a lot of testing and a lot of contact tracing, you're going to be finding people very early on in the course of their infection. And it looks as though it's 24 to 48 hours, but it's just because you're catching people really early. It's no different really to other viruses. And if you put you cast your mind back with the Adelaide outbreak, the Parafield cluster, Adelaide were saying they're dealing with a different virus. It's getting very worrying. Um, they said it in Queensland. They said it in New South Wales at the beginning of the Crossroads Motel outbreak, where in fact, that was the ancestral virus. It wasn't even the British virus, if I remember rightly there. 
So I think we can probably discount the short generation time as an issue. Then you've got the issue of these fleeting contacts, and that could be a result of increased infectiousness. The question is just how much. And we don't know enough about this Kappa variant. There's not that much of it around the world. The Delta seems to have muscled it out, which tells you something that almost certainly the Delta is more contagious. So it's likely that the Kappa 1 is maybe round about the same as the British variant, which is you know, almost twice as, if, as contagious as the Wuhan virus. But you know, these are things that we just don't know enough about yet. We've just got to pay it respect. So what's the way out for Victoria? Well, the way out for Victoria is, you know, it was a good day yesterday. Um, we'll see what today shows. And uh, if you keep down to those low numbers and they can tie everything down, I would have thought that by Sunday you could start to let up on the restrictions. Um, There'd be little reason to continue. You don't need to get down to donut days, but you do need to get down to zero community spread, which means you know where everything's coming from, people are in quarantine, and you've got it under control. So you've been looking at the issue, which we're getting a lot of questions about, uh, Tegan, which is why Melbourne? Yeah, so well, I haven't been looking at it, but one of our our very esteemed brains in Australia has. Dr Liz Allen is a, a demographer at ANU, so she studies human patterns and was trying to answer some of the common theories that people have been putting forward about why Melbourne has had this this outbreak now, but also the big outbreak last year. So this is the whole thing that we've got different design suburbs, people are much more social and get out and about and all that sort of thing. Yeah, and she's basically taken each of those and looked at the numbers that we know about Melbourne and Sydney or, or Victoria and New South Wales. And basically, um, spoiler alert, none of them really check out. Uh, is Victoria younger than New South Wales? Not really. Are there more migrants in Victoria versus New South Wales? No. Uh, are, we, are they more likely to use public transport? Not really. So this idea that perhaps they're more interconnected or perhaps there are people with different levels of socioeconomic wealth or age or levels of disease, it doesn't seem to check out. So I think the upshot of at least what uh, Dr Allen is saying is that it's bad luck. Well, it also means that... Um other states can't sit on their laurels, particularly New South Wales. Absolutely. I mean, I think that is the really big takeaway of this. It, it's not something that Victoria has done wrong or it, it has found itself in a particular situation um, with with its makeup. It's just bad luck. But I did wonder whether, um, whether cold weather did play a role because that's something that has been bandied about a bit, but I don't know if it's a big enough factor to be driving a pandemic, uh, driving an outbreak at this scale. Well, it's bloody freezing in Sydney, so I'm not sure. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so it, it's, it, it, it is interesting. And I think that the temptation that we've got now is to compare Melbourne, this outbreak, with the second wave. And they're very, it's, very, it's a very, very different situation. How so? Because contact tracing is better, they're on top of it, and it's not spreading or because of a lack of public health investment. That investment has been made. And interestingly, yesterday at the press conference, Alan Cheng said that he reckons that the rep, effective reproduction reproductive number, RF, is probably about 0 0.69, 0 0.7, which means that you've not got exponential spread. In other words, one person spreading it to more than one person, to more than th them, and you've just got this mushrooming of infections. One, one person is less likely to spread it to anybody, and that's the situation you want to get to. Well, we've got plenty of questions from our audience at the moment, Norman, so we're going to rattle through as many as possible today. Quick Fire Friday. Well, Quick Fire Friday, but before Quick Fire Friday, normal pace 
Friday questions as well. That's my snappy title for it. So Lachlan is asking, how should I try to convince people that are willing to get the Pfizer vaccine to also be okay with getting the AstraZeneca vaccine? If I can paraphrase or imagine what the conversation Lachlan's having, it's I'm not an anti-vaxxer, is, the, is what you hear. I'm willing to have a vaccine, but I want Pfizer and I don't want to take the risk with Astra. And should I wait till the end of the year? So you can wait till the end of the year. You will be behind the queue, behind 12-year-olds, almost certainly by that time of the year. So do you want to wait until 2022? So how much risk do you want to take and how secure do you want your community to be? That's the first thing. Second thing is in terms of the risk, just refer you back to yesterday's Chronicast episode with Dr. Tim Brighton, is that the risk is very low of this clotting problem. It's one and a half people in a MCG full of getting the clot and the risk of dying. Is, so it's not, it's, not, it's not there at all, is one person in 20 to 25 full MCGs. So the risk is low. And you've got to make up your mind for yourself and respect that. Definitely recommend you scroll back through your feed and listen to that episode with Dr. Tim Brighton. He was so great. And he ended the uh, episode by telling us that he happily got the AstraZeneca vaccine himself. And he's a blood doctor. A blood clotting doctor, more to the point. A blood clotting doctor. Uh, and Rob Spencer also said, hashtag Coronacast, today's episode with Dr. Tim Brighton was amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks, Rob. Uh, Gordon had a follow-up question for that episode with uh, Dr. Brighton, though. He said when he had his AstraZeneca shot, he was just told to look out for headaches and abdominal pain, but no advice on how pa- how bad the pain had to be before seeking medical attention. I think that the message here is that if after four days, usually around about five, seven days after the Astra vaccine, you've got new symptoms like headaches, blurring vision, abdominal pain, clotting in the legs of any kind, you go and see your GP and have a chat about it. And one more vaccine-related question from Sarah, who's just about to get her second Pfizer jab. She's starting to worry about the possibility that she should she could catch coronavirus and not realise if she doesn't get any symptoms. Doesn't that increase the chances that she will unwittingly be a spreader? Well, it does, except that the theory is that you're less likely to spread it because even though you get it, you may, you've got some Um, antibody response and lower viral load. So the risk is lower. But uh, yes, that is absolutely the risk. But the idea is you get a herd immunity where 80 or 90% of people are immunised and the level of virus in the community is extremely low and the risks of of the implications of a leak to the general community are much lower because older people are well covered, for example. Okay, Norman, so it's Quick Fire Friday time now. You need to answer these questions quickly. Sherry's saying, is the variant that's circulating in Melbourne has the same symptoms as the symptoms we were told to watch out for with the original virus? Yes. Elizabeth says, I've heard from a lot of women in my life who've had the Pfizer vaccine that it's upset or exacerbated their period. Is there anything to that? I don't. I haven't seen that documented. If, if you've got that, you should be reporting it to the TGA. There is a website. Um so I don't, I don't know the answer to that. There's no effect on fertility. We know that. But it is possible. And as we talked about yesterday, sometimes you get a little bit of diminution of your, of your platelets and uh, with any, with after any vaccine. And I suppose that could increase the bleeding of your, in your periods. I've not seen anything coherent on that in the international literature. Norma's asking, is it a good idea to stay away from young babies after having a COVID vaccine? Her grandson is seven months. So this is part of the thing, which is a myth that the, you're shedding virus after you've had the after you've had the vaccine. You are not shedding virus because the only vaccine on the market internationally that has the whole virus in it, and it's not even then a live virus, is the Chinese one, Sinopharm. So you're not getting the whole virus. You're not shedding anything. 
Very safe. Jason asks, will we ever reach a level of vaccination such that lockdowns will become unnecessary? Yes, we will. And we certainly should. And we should do it as soon as possible. And that's 70 or 80 percent of people covered and maybe 90, 95 percent of the elderly. So that the risks of it spreading, in other words, it may spread, as one of our previous questioners asked, when you've got the vaccine, but the level of illness and hospitalisation is so low that you've effectively turned COVID into the common cold. Well, there you go, Norman. Another quick fire Friday, done and dusted. Well done. I'm puffed. I'm puffed. Well, that's all we've got time for on Coronacast this week, but we'll be back on your feed on Monday. Yeah, see you then. <laughs>